This is a Willits Point Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willits Point Shea Stadium. Oh, yes. Welcome to the Subway to Shea podcast. Anthony Rivera here with you, talking all the news and happenings surrounding that team from Queens, the New York Mets. You can follow the show on Twitter at Subway to Shea. Listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Cast. Make sure to turn on those notifications and never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. Also, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please take a few minutes to write me a review. Let me know what you think of the show, things you like, things you don't like. I want to know how to make this show better for all you Met fans out there because you deserve a great Mets podcast and I want to give it to you. So, you can also find Subway to Shea on YouTube. I've partnered up with my friends at the HSP Network, and you will be able to find Subway to Shea content there. Just search High Spot Podcast on YouTube or youtube.com slash High Spot Podcast and subscribe to their page to find content from this show. Coming up in just a few minutes, Justin Toscano will be joining the show. He is the Mets beat writer for The Record and NorthJersey.com, which is a part of the USA Today Network. Now, let's get into a few things before we get into that interview. Let's start off with the ace, Jacob deGrom. Is there any other place that we should start? I don't think so. deGrom just deGroms. You know, you can get that saying, deGrom just deGroms, because he's been dominant all spring. Now, I know Most of his starts have been against the Astros. He's not playing full rosters. But just watching him toy with batters, reaching 101, 102 miles per hour, and just doing what he does every day, every game that he plays, every game that he pitches, he's just been unreal. I've never seen anything like this before. Definitely in my lifetime of watching Mets baseball. Now, I never got to see Tom Seaver pitch. I never got to see Doc Gooden pitch. So this, I guess, is our version, our time with Jacob deGrom. He has been unreal since coming up to the major leagues. He has done things that we just haven't seen before. Look look at his age, 32, 33, and he's throwing 100, 101, 102. You hope that it's sustainable. You hope that he could do that throughout the entire season. So it'd be really nice to get DeGrom off to a great start for this season, to have him pitch the way he has been pitching, and to win games behind him. And I don't just mean winning the games, but I mean actually winning his games for him. You know, hitting behind him, having a good bullpen behind him. There's no reason why he cannot be a 15-16 game winner. There's no reason why he shouldn't reach that plateau. He's already won two Cy Youngs. It's possible that he could win a third. He has just been so good. And I just 
am happy that he's on the Mets. I'm happy that I get to see him every fifth day. And if you got to see him during his last spring start, it was on SNY against the Astros, he pitched four innings, two hits, one earned run, a homer, no walks, and six strikeouts. Now let's compare that to his previous start, which came after last week's podcast. He pitched three innings, seven Ks, no hits, no runs, no walks. So in the last two starts, seven innings pitched, two hits, one earned run, and 13 strikeouts. If he does this all season, I think Met fans are going to lose it in a positive way. I think we're all going to lose it in a positive way. I think this is going to be like, well, can't really go to the stadiums at this point in time. They're only going to have a small capacity. But we could be getting into games like it was during the Doc Gooden days. Sold out crowd, the fans with the little K corner. We are in that kind of era right now with Jacob deGrom. All we got to do now is get him a championship. That's the one thing that he needs. We saw what he did in the playoffs in 2015. We saw what he did in game one of the NLDS, game five of the NLDS, what he did in the NLCS. He only got that one start where he struggled in the World Series. But if he would have gotten another chance, if the Mets would have won game five of the World Series and he would have gotten another chance, there is a big possibility that that series would have went seven games. So I want to see him get multiple opportunities in the playoffs. You know, some of my other favorite players growing up never got that opportunity. Piazza got it twice, 99-2000. David Wright got it in 2006, and then there was a huge layoff before he got to go again. About nine years it took him to get back there again in 2015, and he wasn't even healthy. He was barely healthy. 2016, he didn't even get to play. The playoffs just don't happen for everyone. This team has the opportunity to do that, and I hope they do, and I hope DeGrom gets his chance to shine, because he deserves it. Also, I don't know if you guys saw that 22 pitch at bat with Luis Guillorme going down 0-2 in the count, and it took 12 minutes to get him to a walk, of all things. Jordan Hicks was on the mound, and after his at bat, he had to get taken out, and that started a whole rally in which the Mets ended up winning that game against the Cardinals. We'll get into more about Luis Guillorme with our guest. So joining me now on the Subway to Shape podcast, the one and only Justin Toscano, Mets beat writer for the record and NorthJersey.com, which is a part of the USA Today Network. He's also an alumni from the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communication at Arizona State University and a member of the Baseball Writers Association of America. Justin, how's it going down there in Port St. Lucie, man? Good, good, Anthony. Thanks for having me on. I'm actually back up in, in New York now to get a little bit of a breather and cover some stuff from home before the season. But it was, uh, you just can't beat it, man. The weather, <laughs> the weather and all the sun is um, the first day I come back. It's cloudy here and it's like 35 degrees. So, uh, yeah, it was a great time. Good getting to see um, some actual baseball again up close. And, uh, yeah, team looks a lot better. Yeah, I was going to say, you really want to come back now? The weather has been awful up here. This week, past weekend, we had nice weather, but ever since, it's kind of back to that dreary winter. Uh, yeah, just uh, staring out the window and waiting for spring, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there seems to be a different vibe with this team. You've been down there. You've seen it. A lot of smiles, a lot of youthful exuberance. I don't remember seeing the Mets like this ever since maybe 2005, 2006. What is your overall take with the vibe of this team? Yeah, it is really optimistic. I think there's a, balance, a good balance between 
the optimism and the smiles of having fun with the seriousness of it all and the acknowledgement of kind of the magnitude of the expectations is how I would put it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we saw the the World Series celebration after a drill. We've seen all the smiles and, and the big leaguers working with the prospects and enjoying that. Just the guys having fun. I mean, it's a fun group, right? Anytime, you know, you get these guys, that young cord that came up together and knew each other from the minors. And you add a piece like Francisco Lindor, obviously, isn't going to hurt because he's as good of, you know, a player's shortstop as you can find and, and also a great person somebody fits well into that clubhouse and you've just you've got all the guys who have meshed together so it's really fun but on the other hand i think they're they're taking things a uh, a step forward and how they're approaching the season i mean they know what lies ahead right i mean they know it's kind of um October run or bust, right? You put together a team like this and people expect great things. Fans expect great things as they should. And they have taken a great step forward. The roster is talented and deeper, but they've really been emphasizing kind of not falling into the uh, hype trap, if you will, for lack of a better term of, you know, I think Michael Conforto was the first to say it even before spring training started during an award, you know, awards dinner call, Zoom call. And he just said that, you know, there's Right now, it's just hype. You know, we haven't to, we haven't earned it. Is I think what he said. You know, he said teams like the Dodgers have earned it. We have we haven't won a lot of games, and so I think that is kind of the perfect you know mix of of optimism. You got the smiles, and, and it, I think everybody is encouraged to know that they will be playing a part in this, but they won't be you know the only person in this, the only contributor. And I think there's a there's more of a relaxed vibe when everybody knows that the team is good enough where where you only have to do your part and and nothing more than that. And so I think that's where a lot of the optimism comes from being excited to play with, you know, the guys around you. But I think there's a good balance um, with, you know, also what I talked about, just the kind of the the maturity in handling these expectations. Now, who has impressed you the most during the spring pitcher and a hitter? It doesn't have to be, you know, the big names that we think of. Is there someone else maybe that we're, we're not looking at that has impressed you so far? Yeah. Um, let me see. I mean, it, it's so hard to not pick Jacob DeGrom because in any spring, you know, he, mm-hmm. you, you might pick somebody else, but just <laughs> with the numbers he's put up, it's like, <laughs> I mean, he's hitting another level than we all expected. But let me see. I'm, I'm trying to think of uh, somebody, somebody who's really impressed me. I'm trying to think of a lesser known guy just to give the listeners something, uh, something a little more. I think, uh, I think Trevor May. I think Trevor May has been really good. Somebody who is impressed. Uh, somebody who, yeah, he was kind of a marquee signing bullpen, but it's not, you know, not a superstar. Edwin Diaz is another guy who, I guess, you know, you might who whose spring performance might surprise some people just because everyone always wants to remember that 2019 season. But hitting wise, I think it's got to be Brandon Nimmo because, like, we knew Pete Alonso had this in him. So I think, you know, from that perspective maybe he but he's locked in like he was in 2019 whereas Brandon Nimmo I think flies under the radar um you know fair or unfair I mean he's got so many great guys around him but I think his spring performance not only um at the plate but defensively has has been really good in in this great fruit league slate and so yeah I think he's somebody that doesn't get enough attention and I think one guy who is not going to get enough attention is Luis Guillorme who you know unless he makes another kind of bat catch or a 22 pitch walk I mean, he doesn't really, I think, I think he's as undervalued uh, a player as I can think of, you know, off the top of my head. And I think um, he's probably somebody too, from the position player standpoint, I know I gave you a few there and you asked for one, but um, he's probably somebody that I would say from the position player standpoint 
has pleasantly surprised me because most of his at-bats have been quality at-bats and he, he has hit ball hard or has worked counts. But just the the reliability uh, on defense. I mean, we saw, you know, Jeff McNeil struggle at third once. We've seen Jonathan VR struggle at third. But it's like, it, and that makes it even more impressive that Guillaume is able to play you know, three good infield positions at a high level. And I think to me, that's the most surprising part is that Luis Guillorme is not out of place at all. He is not somebody who who belongs going up and down from Syracuse like he was in 2019. You know, he very much belongs on this roster. Yeah, he's kind of been somewhat of a phenomenon just in spring training alone. You know, he's like you said, he's proven to be an elite defender. He's also shown that he's he can hit. Uh, ever since the tail end of 2019. Any way he ends camp with a starting job at all? You know, I don't think so, barring injury. I Now, the scenario that I think would be most likely for him starting is like if J.D. Davis, you know, scuffles and, and get, you know, gets in a, a big slump out of the gates, then like, yeah, you know, you, you think about it. It's certainly a valid question. Like, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility just because Luis <laughs> I mean, he has played so well in these great fruit league games that, that he definitely is making a case to be like that first backup infielder even over Jonathan VR who they you know who they signed over the offseason because they had interest in but I just think it's got to be JD Davis with no DH I mean if there's a DH then like I think Luis Rojas right now on March 16th is really you know racking his brain trying to figure out if he's going to start Gourmet third because you've just seen the and it's not that J.D. Davis isn't adequate because I do think he's a better third baseman even defensively than people give him credit for. But I mean, just the plays Luis Guillorme has made, you know, the diving stops or going, you know, going to his left and then starting, you know, a crisp double play like he did a, a few days ago. It's um, yeah, I think it would be a real, real, real tough, you know, decision if there were a DH. But with no DH, I think the thought is definitely to get the extra bat in there, especially somebody like, you know, the value of Davis's bat. But I could see, you know, with the circumstance that Davis, you know, struggles here and there. You know, he had a great 2019, but he's not a Pete Alonso. He's not like, you know, the type of guys that that have that cash to uh you know, that that repertoire, the the respect of, you know, the kind of getting a little bit of that leeway. So they've given him some leeway, but, you know, we'll see how long it lasts, especially if Yorme keeps playing at, at this level. And if they feel like they don't have Davis's bat, then I think it becomes a real storyline. And I know from last year, Rojas has proven that he's not prone to not make a move. He did it with Andres Jimenez over Ahmed Rosario. So if Guillaume continues to do what he's doing and if Davis doesn't hit, then possibly could see a change. Oh, yeah, I I think so. Now, the difference is, like, this year we'll have to see his managing style in terms of of giving that leash and that leeway just because last year was a 60-game season. So, I mean, they obviously felt the sense of urgency, Luis Rojas especially, to to just play the hot hand, which was smart. You know, that's what should be done. Um, But I also think he's got a great eye for things. Like, look how, you know, now... Andres Jimenez is, is at shortstop for Cleveland and Ahmed Rosario is, you know, playing in center field, getting, you know, tried out in center field. Um, and so I think Luis Rojas does have a good eye for that stuff and, and kind of, you know, a smooth way of handling those things in terms of managing the clubhouse personalities. But yeah, I, I could definitely see that because I do think he's had an aggressive managing style. And I think, um, you know, I think he's got the team to do it because I don't think Guillaume's bat is so bad that, 
he sh- that this isn't even a storyline. He shouldn't even receive a look. So I do think that, yeah, you know, hey, if it first month comes out, Davis really struggles, uh, then maybe they think about it, especially with a ground ball pitcher in Stroman, a guy who, you know, assuming David Peterson makes a rotation, guy who induces weak contact there. I mean, I think there are a lot of benefits to having Guillaume over there, especially with them being stronger up the middle with uh, McCann and Lindor now. As we mentioned, Rojas and his managing style, a lot of that will come into play with how he runs the bullpen. A lot of pitchers are vying for this final spots. Uh, We've seen uh, Dylan Batanzas. He's been struggling, especially with his velocity. How do you see the bullpen shaping out going into the season? I think a guy like Dylan Batanzas, just because of the cost, is uh, and he's a proven major leaguer, is a guy that's going to get some leeway there. So I think, um, you know, you've got, it's it's a very high-risk, high-reward unit, uh, which I guess you can say about a lot of bullpens in baseball, because the modern-day bullpen is certainly volatile. But yeah, so you've got the, you know, past the Edwin Diaz and the, you know, Batances and Castro and May. And, you know, I think there's a very real chance you could see the loser of the number five spot, you know, between David Peterson and Joey Lucchese, which appears to be the competition right now. I think you could very well see that guy go into the bullpen as like a long man, a guy who could cover innings, even like an opener, like a piggy, whatever it may be. Like, I, I think there's a lot of versatility there, but I think Robert Gesellman's a guy that, you know, that fits as one of those final pieces in the bullpen. Um, certainly, I think you have to, the funny thing is you kind of just have to account for Aaron Loop because he's the only lefty. So uh, that's a spot right there. But I think it's it's interesting because I believe they just, today was my off day, but I believe they just optioned McWilliams, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yeah, I yeah, just saw so, him get uh, optioned. And I, I was a little surprised that they I, did it so quickly. Right, and I eat my L's. I had, I think I, I had him at the last bullpen spot on my first roster projection about a week ago, just because of the stuff I thought would be there. So with him out of the picture, like I thought the stuff would intrigue them enough to just give him a shot there. But with him out of the picture, I mean, that really seems to bode well for A, Gaselman, and in my opinion, B, the loser of that theoretical Peterson-Lucchese competition, because that that really opens up them to have, you know, some some versatility there with how they play with those final two spots. But it's going to be... It's going to be a, I don't want to say it's going to be tough because they've got, they do have a lot of talent in that bullpen for as much as people on social media like to overreact to it. But it is a very high risk group that without Seth Lugo, it's the most reliable arm in there. You know, it's going to be on Edwin Diaz on Miguel Castro, on Trevor May to, to kind of kind of hold the fort there, um, especially if, you know, Jerry's Familia can't return to form, especially if Dallin Batances can't be what he once was. So uh, it's going to be interesting. I do think that there's there seems to be like five or six locks, but you could play with the final two spots in a number of ways. And that's like, hey, if that's going, uh, I mean, another like Trevor Hildenberger had looked good through his first couple spring outings and he was you know reassigned as soon as last week so it's uh yeah i'm surprised that it came this early for mcwilliams but um you know now now with that out you could kind of play with those final two spots and i also you know drew smith uh steven tarplay he's a lefty too but if if they're gonna take one of the i guess the runner-up for the starting rotation then he really doesn't have a spot in the bullpen no no yeah like i and i don't know that they will you know i don't have any insight like i don't think they know 
know yet just because of, you know, it's a couple weeks out. But um, I, I would think that if they don't do that, then, yeah, I would see Drew Smith as, as a logical option there, especially with the opportunity he's gotten, the innings he's gotten. And he, the fact that he wasn't, he was kind of the guy who, who got a little shorted last year, but I think I thought he pitched well. He was put in in some, some really tough situations. So I think that, that last year, you know, could help him because he was, you know, even he was coming back from injury, but he was uh, he wasn't bad. And I think he'd be reliable, you know, out of that last spot. But I think it really, yeah, with with Williams out of the picture, I think you're you're looking at, you know, Gesellman, Drew Smith, yeah, even Tarpley if they want another lefty. And Tarpley, it's fair to note that Tarpley is a guy who has made a start in his career, you know, as an opener. So if they want to even play with that tactic or want another lefty in there because of that, that could be something in consideration. But I do think they're intrigued by like the versatility somebody like Joey Lucchese for example would give them in there because they've had a long man before and it's like it might be something you know I don't know how it shakes out just because they have like the off day so early on in that season that they you know they might not need so it's just it's going to be interesting to see how they play with the final two spots but I was really surprised about McWilliams personally like I know he was a bit erratic at times but I just thought you know with the stuff and the velocity like that is uh it's pretty intriguing yeah it seems like the Mets really want to play around this year with that opener you know last year they could barely get a couple of their pitchers past the second or third inning so this I feel like is possibly a good idea especially to get some of these guys some rest Right. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad idea at all, especially with, um, I, I mean, every year, Jeremy Hefter was quick to say, you know, I, a few weeks back that every year it's like they're paying attention to, to kind of how guys ramp up and like innings limit and things like that. But it, I think it's an interesting idea this year just because pitchers like weren't fully ramped up last year, didn't, you know, didn't throw as many innings as they had. So it's like you don't know how they're going to come out of the gates. You don't know how they're going to handle the first third of those 30 starts they'll eventually make. So it is an interesting idea. And I think, you know, the Rays are well known for doing it and they they don't have as good of a lineup as the Mets do. So I think if the Mets could, you know, play with that that strategy a little bit and and get ahead with the lineup, I think it's valuable because they do have they do have guys who could who could pitch multiple innings, whether it's Gaselman or, you know, somebody like Tarpley or, or you know, if they do have like a another designated long man who, you know, was in the starting pitching conversation. Um even somebody like Yamamoto, mm-hmm. if you wanted to piggyback someone, you know, off of him or let him throw a couple. I mean, that that I think I think it's all in play. I mean, I think they have a direction they might want to go by now, but I think um, the added roster depth and not just depth like Porcello Waka depth, but depth like young depth with upside, I think is going to help them be a lot more versatile and be able to cover a lot more situations and circumstances this year than, than they previously had. And it'll definitely help ease Noah Syndergaard back into the rotation because I know they're going to take it slow with easing him back in every fifth day. I would assume. Right. Yeah. It, that's the thing with, with Noah. It's like, I know everybody, you know, it's been the whole thing like, oh, you know, imagine what it's going to be like when he's back there in June. And I've said that myself. Like, and I have thought that I'm like, wow, this rotation could be dominant bef- before he's back. <laughs> and after he's back, if he's half of what he was before, I mean, you know, like the rotation is going to be very, very good. But yes, 
he still is an important piece, especially if they, you know, do think about extending him. Um, so he's definitely somebody that, you know, it, deserving of of that caution on the front end, you know, of when he returns from his recovery. And so, yeah, easing him in. I mean, it's, it's good to have that versatility because you just, like we saw last year, and I mean, you alluded to it, behind Jacob deGrom, it was just, and I mean, David Peterson was the second most reliable starter on last year's team. So it was just, yeah. uh, it was a mess. But I do think that, this year's depth is a lot better than Porcello, Waka, you know, Ariel Gerardo, um, even like Corey Oswalt. Like I, I think, you know, there's, I don't, you know, think he's bad, but I just think there's a lot, there's a lot. I don't even want to say sad. I just think there's a lot more quality options this year and strategies they, they could play with whether, whether it is the opener or piggybacking or like even using like a six man rotation. Um, if they wanted to at the, you know, if they felt, that was best for for guys i don't know you know but they they've remained open-minded to that stuff just because things can change i just think that they have the weapons to justify their thinking this year once again i'm here with justin toscano mets beat writer for the record and northjersey.com you know pete alonzo had a strong spring what do you think has changed for him at bat wise i think it's the way he is minimizing chase and that's something he has talked about really since the first week of spring. And I think that's big for him because if we go back to 2019, uh, the little slump he had, you know, after the all-star break, a lot of that was because he was just, and I think, you know, he admitted as much and the Mets talked about as much that he, you know, he was kind of chasing the home run record and, and chasing all these, these homers and you start pressing a little bit, you start chasing. And I think that's a lot of what happened last year is that he just, he didn't start out super hot and just wanted to, you know, wanted to turn things around, but you only have 60 games. I think that leads to pressing, which leads to chasing. And so I think the way he's doing it now, he's staying a lot more within himself. And the, the phrase Luis Rojas has used is that Pete Alonso isn't on, you know, quote unquote, a search. Like he knows what he is. He knows what he can do. So now it's kind of about staying within himself and being able to uh, work pat pitchers back into the zone. Like if he's not going to be chasing that stuff, eventually they're going to have to pitch him, which uh, is a very sound strategy when you're going to have Michael Conforto, Francisco Lindor, Dominic Smith, JD, you know, all those guys hitting around you, you know, you can afford to do that. And he doesn't have to do more than, you know, doesn't have to bite off more than he can chew. But I do really think it's just staying within himself, kind of seeing balls more into the zone rather than chasing them and, and trying to take that big swing that's going to score nine runs. Can't score nine runs with one swing. I think he's just really relaxed and stayed like locked in. And you can just tell that um, when he does that, when he, you know, when he stays with it himself, I mean, he's got the power to, to really do damage on a lot of balls. And I, you know, put barrel on balls. And I think, um, yeah, I think that that's kind of what it comes down to is really, he's just not, pressing as much and if this last end of the season i mean it, if his spring performance is any indication of, of what will be in 2021 i think it's going to be another special year for him now before i let you go i can't go an episode without talking about the ace jacob Degrom. we talked about him quite briefly in the beginning what do you make of what he has been doing this spring i mean in all my years of watching baseball i've never seen anything like this yeah it's just pure dominance. It's unfair. It, those are a couple of the adjectives that, that come to mind. But, I mean, 100, like, 101, 102, he, he's getting there. It's it's almost ridiculous, too, that he's at the point where he can just toy with it. Like, I know the first the first time out when he was against the Astros, and they had some they had some starters in there, uh, they're, you know, most of their starters. He just threw the fastball. He was like, ah, slider wasn't really. He just wanted to work on fastball location. So he patted him with the fastball. He was fine. Didn't give up a run. Second time out, you know, he wants to slow the slider a little more, work that in. 
So he does that. It's an Astros B team, and those poor hitters who are finally getting some spring training grapefruit league game at bats had to face Jacob DeGrom for the first couple of them, and he just carved him up. And I just don't like, and it's the, the most impressive thing to me, as you mentioned, is like 100, 101, 100, 99, 99, 99. The off, and it's like, then you throw in the 94 mile an hour slider, and it's just mm-hmm. devastating. And I think, I think for him, he's hitting another level of, as cliche as it sounds, like something Luis Rojas mentioned was like, He's competing with himself. There's no, like, it's getting very, it's getting very difficult to call him arguably the best pitcher of baseball. It's like at at now you start to think like, where do we draw that line? (laughs) Like, I mean, it's, he, he doesn't. And the funny thing is like, even Garrett Cole had like a really rough stretch last season. Like Jacob deGrom's rough stretches have been like maybe a span of a couple of starts, three starts, uh, you know, four, but the threshold for his, you know, poor start quote unquote is maybe like giving up four runs. Whereas it's like, it's something we've never seen. I mean, a guy who's 32 going to be, you know, going to be 33 in June. Um, if I'm not mistaken, like throwing, you know, increasing his velocity, having cleaned up his delivery, his arm is probably a lot healthier than a lot of people his age, just because he didn't solely specialize in baseball and wasn't throwing at a hundred, you know, throw a hundred innings a weekend, you know, at, at a showcase out in California, you know, every weekend or whatnot, like some kids these days. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, just the, just how overmatched everybody looks against him is, is really appalling to me. And I know it's only spring training and I know, you know, he hasn't faced all the starters or everybody's opening day lineups, but it's just, um, yeah, it's really appalling. He's he's a pretty far step ahead of everybody not named Garrett Cole, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, they are they are lucky to have him. Now they've put the team around him that, you know, that, that really could do something special. But I, it's tough to even say what's most impressive. Oh, you could rattle off the five straight strikeouts he had against those. You know, he's, he's, and he, I think at one point it struck out, you know, 11 of some, you know, number of batters he'd last face and it's just like this spring he has just really asserted himself and again it's only spring training but it's uh it's difficult to make a case in my opinion like if you ask me who i'd want pitching one game that i needed to win or a bullet gets put through my head whatever it may be i, I mean it's tough to not pick jacob i don't know how you i don't know how you don't just the consist not only the stuff and the velocity but like the consistency the poise on the mound, the control, and like, yes, he gets emotional at times, but it's not to the point where it ever affects anything. And um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's just, it's pretty unfathomable that, that he's just gotten better and better and better and better and better. Yeah, that's, it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, Justin, let everyone know where they can catch you on social media, where they can read your stuff. Yeah, yeah. So uh, NorthJersey.com, you know, subscribe to read the stuff. And then social media, it's Justin C. Toscano. That's T-O-S-C-A-N-O. Justin, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Let's do this again sometime soon, okay? Of course. Yeah, anytime. All right, Justin Toscano, Mets beat writer for The Record and NorthJersey.com which is a part of the USA Today Network. What a great interview Justin Toscano was. I'm going to have him on again soon, and I really enjoyed what he had to say. You know, he spent most of his time down there in Port St. Lucie, and he's been with the team and seeing everything that's been going on. So it was great getting his perspective on the Mets. Now, before we wrap up the show, final thoughts. Boy, did the Mets dodge a bullet. Avoiding the A-Rod J-Lo ownership move that they were trying to do. Because the drama came out on Friday when they reportedly broken up. Now there's just 
a rift between them. The two are, their relationship is hanging on by a thread, according to some news outlets out there. But boy, I made that tweet last week, and it was Neo from The Matrix avoiding the bullets. And the Mets, you know, avoided J-Lo. They avoided A-Rod. They've avoided Trevor Bauer. As you know that he's now trying to pitch with his eye closed. I don't know what why he's trying to do that, but it's good that we did not sign him. Thinking about this now, I know before I was a proponent, of bringing him in because of the talent, I did not realize how bad this would have been for the Mets if he would have came here. But right now, with the antics that Trevor Bauer has been pulling, I think it's great that the Mets decided to go in a different direction and avoid him. You know, the pitching with the one eye closed, he hit somebody, then he's complaining about MLB not allowing him to wear certain clothing on the mound. It would have been just a disaster. And that's something that the Mets clubhouse did not need. As I mentioned with Justin earlier, you could just see the smiles, the exuberance from this team being together. A lot of them growing together from the minor leagues. You know, you bring in Francisco Lindor, you bring in guys like Trevor May and Carrasco, and they help to mold the rest of the team along with Jacob deGrom and Pete Alonzo, Dom Smith. You know, these guys are a team together. And you know, there's no I in team. So moving forward, I think the Mets were better off not bringing Trevor Bauer into the fold. And that right there, my friends, is going to wrap it up for this edition, this episode of the Subway to Shape podcast. Now, please take a few minutes, write me a review, let me know what you think of the show, whether you like it, whether you don't like it, things you like, things you don't like. I want to know how to make this show better for all you Met fans out there. I want to be one of the top Met podcasts out there today. So please help me. Give me a five-star review if you like it. Put those stars up there. The more five-star reviews I get, the higher my podcast ranking goes up on Apple Podcasts. So if you guys can take the few moments, do that for me. Let me know what you think of the show. I will be very grateful. And I'll be grateful even if you think there's things wrong with it. I want to know. I want to know how to fix anything that you know, bothers you about the show. What can we do better? You know, so please do me a favor. Please stick the review and you can follow the show at Subway to Shay on Twitter. Listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Cast. Remember to turn on your notifications and never miss an episode of Subway to Shay. You can also find me on YouTube with my friends at the HSP Network. You'll be able to find Subway to Shay content there. Just search High Spot Podcast on YouTube or youtube.com slash High Spot Podcast and subscribe to their page to find content from this show. There's also wrestling content on there. There's football, basketball, a whole lot of stuff coming down from those guys at the HSP Network. And that pretty much wraps it up here for the Subway to Shade Podcast. Anthony Rivera signing off from you this week. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for joining. Subscribe, share, listen. Let's go next.